when I was thinking about today and, and just the topic that we've been on, uh, I was reminded of a conversation that I had earlier this year with David Campbell. Uh, David Campbell's a friend of ours from uh, Scotland that lives in London. And uh, it was in January of this year, and it was actually right after, um, right after, for those of you that, that have been here, right after the earthquake experience that I had. So for those of you that are like, I don't even know what you're talking about, um, <clears throat> January the 13th of this year, uh, went to bed, exhausted, I'm going to leave out most of the details, and uh, exhausted, tired, and all of a sudden, um, I'm asleep, and I hear what I thought was thunder, and it just kept rumbling, I thought. And it wasn't enough to pull me out of the deep sleep into an awaking sleep. I was still in between. I don't know what those stages are, but I was in, in, in between stage. That could be the story of my life. But, <clears throat> um, and I, I remember coming out, it wasn't enough to wake me up, but the thunder kept rolling. And I thought, wow, that is a long, that must've been a big lightning bolt. And when it kept going and kept going, I, I thought, that's not thunder, that's an earthquake. As soon as I thought that, there was this boom crash. Uh, the, our bedroom shook, the, the picture shook. Uh, I flew out of bed and went, <gasps> We just had an earthquake. And so I'm trying to get my uh, bearings. And so I go into the bathroom to see what had fallen off of the wall because it was pitch black and nothing was moved. And so now I, I, I am so disoriented because there's nobody in this world that can tell me that what I experienced was not an earthquake. Nobody can do that. So I'm trying to formulate and put into... Make, make sense of what had happened. So I'm sitting there thinking, well, surely they're not dynamiting. No one's dynamiting this late at night. And then I thought, well, maybe our house is built in such a way that, you know, we missed the earthquake. We missed the whole, so all of this stuff is going on. I couldn't make any sense out of it. I go to bed because I'm exhausted, tired. I thought I'll read about it on CNN in the morning and I wake up and there's nothing there. So I go on earthquake watch, and the closest earthquake, the, the closest event that happened was in Anchorage, Alaska. So now I am really perplexed going, God, what is going on? And um, <clears throat> so I talked to uh, Surpresa, and Surpresa, I was, I was telling him what was going on. He goes, oh, this is a, you have had a visitation, a heavenly encounter, it's like, I think is what he said. So that's, that's the precursor to what I'm trying to tell you. I was with David Campbell telling him what was going on. And I said, David, I, you know, we're, we're noticing things happen. Uh, things are quickening around us. This was right on the tail end of when we had uh, that series of, uh, there were eight deaf ears that were opened. Just kind of, you know, randomly. People's eyesights were getting, are getting better. That, that sort of thing. So these are the things that make you stand up and go, huh, what? God is here. God is moving. What do I do? I don't know what to do with my hands. And uh, so I said, I told David, I said, David, you know, it's, it's wild because I, I don't know what to do. And I thought he was going to, you know, agree with me. Instead, he said, well, then you need to find out what to do. 
I said, what do you mean? He said, well, if the Lord is coming in your midst and he's doing what he's doing, as leaders, we can't just sit back and go, oh, wow, I wonder what this is and not know what to do. I said, I'm looking at him like kind of a little bit perplexed, like, what do you do? He said, you get prayed up, you get fasted up, you get worshiped up. You, you do as much as you can to get on board with what he's doing. Otherwise, if he comes and he pours out his spirit and there's no one to facilitate it, it'll just spill over. So I was like, wow, that wasn't what I was expecting to hear at all, nor was it what I was wanting to hear. <laughs> I kind of like this thing. I just sit back and he does everything. And so that got me to thinking <clears throat> about... Matthew 25. I'm not going to, you can turn there if you want to. But it's the parable of the ten virgins. Jesus says that in that day, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins. Five were wise, five were foolish. And, and he goes on and he, he makes a distinction between the wise and the foolish. And the, the one point that I'm wanting to bring out about the two, you can read about those, but the one point that I'm wanting to bring out about the unwise virgins was basically not what they didn't have or what they did have, but the point that I'm wanting to make is, is they thought that they could catch up to the bridegroom when he showed up. That was the thinking behind them not being prepared. They thought that they could catch up to him when he shows up. That has gripped me. Because <clears throat> as a pastor, I'm looking at all of the signs and wonders that are happening, not just here, but it's, it's, it's in the region. And to me, this is, a, this is language that he's coming and the question is, is Jeff, am I one of the wise ones or one of the unwise ones? And the other thing that I'm saying, the reason I'm saying that is this, this, this whatever's happening here at Grace Center is not about me, it's about us. This is an invitation to us. This is not an invitation to me. This is an invitation for us, to us. The Lord, I didn't, I didn't bring you guys here. He brought you here. And so if that's the case, then we as a people together need to lean into this and go, Lord, what are you saying here? Because the thing about it is, what if he's wanting to show up bigger than what we're prepared for. What if he's wanting to do something with your life that's bigger than what you're prepared for, than what I'm prepared for? And so this is a welcome back from vacation, Jeff. We're so glad you're back talk. <laughs> And at the same time, there's a real fear of the Lord in a good way on this. Because I'm like, oh, Lord, do not pass us by. Do, do not pass me by. 
I, I think also, church, that the, the things that we've been talking about, that we've been looking at, kind of the, the unpacking of, and this is not about my message, but it's kind of a segue into the message, but I, uh, the, 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 the thing that I am um, hesitant about, even for myself, is that I, I feel like that the Lord is wanting to shift something in church. And I, I don't know what that shift is. I can tell you what it involves. Part of what it involves is the way that we listen. I know me, I'll just talk about me. Let's just talk about me. <laughs> I have a tendency to to listen in such a way that I am gleaning for information. Just tell me something new. Tell me something new, something new, something new, something new, something new. And as soon as I hear something that I've already heard before, this gleaning process goes and knocks it right off the conveyor belt. And one of the things that I've realized is that me gleaning and looking for information, 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 information is not the same thing as revelation. And if I don't set myself to listen and cause this thing to slow down and cause this thing to go, hey, you need to take a back seat. There might be something here. If you've heard this before, there might be something here that you're not getting, Jeff. Maybe that's it. Maybe there's something more to the Bible than having read it, however many times you've read it, and going and causing myself, because I have to do that as well. I'll read something in Scripture and, and find it. I have a tendency to hit the, the, uh, the cruise button just to just skim on through that chapter so that I can check off what I just read for my daily devotional. Check. Say, uh, Jesus, help us. The Word of God is eternal. The Word of God is eternal. You know what that means? That means there are things that you have read in Scripture that you've not even uncovered and you just read it. There's a meaning to Scripture. There's a depth to Scripture that is infinite. That, that's what I'm coming against. In my mindset, in, this, in the mindset here in the South, especially here in America. So anyway, so God, all that, God help us. Help us. Um, so <clears throat> having said that, I want you to go with me. I feel like that the Lord has put something out in front of us and keeps pointing at this one, two signs. There, there are two signs. One is this verse in Matthew. And it's not, it, 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 again, it's not a, it, it's not a, there's no condemnation. There's no shame. There's no, it's an invitation. This is an absolute invitation. Jeff, you don't know the scriptures 
and you don't know the power of God. Not that you don't know them, but you, you're, not that I'm unfamiliar with them. It's just that the word of God is eternal and there's a lot more to scriptures and there's a lot than what you're experiencing. And there's a lot, lot more to the power of God that, you're that you've yet to experience. And the, the, the point that I keep intertwining and repeating over and over, this, see, this is, this is my hesitancy is to bring this back up again. Because for some of us, a lot of you that are a lot sharper, your knives are a lot sharper than my knife is. Meaning, the, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Not that you're gonna sit here and cut me, but. <clears throat> but a lot of you that are a lot smarter than I am, you'd have a tendency to go ahead and turn this off right here. Yep, heard that. Okay, Jeff, you've said this four times. Okay, I'm with you. And yet the Holy Spirit being in this place, the Holy Spirit is telling me, Jeff, say that again, say that again, say that again. So it's like, wow, kind of being used as a, as a ramrod here, bam, bam, bam. And so the Holy Spirit is saying as an invitation to us all, there is more in the area of scriptures and in the area of power of the power of God than you are experiencing right now. And I'm inviting you in. The other thing that I'm talking about is talking about the whole message of this life. Life is capitalized. It's referring to Jesus. The angel told the, the, the apostles who were locked up when, they opened, when he opened up the, the prison gate and said, go stand and speak the whole message of this life. If I'm honest with you, most of us have heard part of the message of this life. We understand that Jesus came to save our souls, but we don't understand that he also came to save our bodies. That one's less. That one carries less weight. The reason is, is because we don't know the scriptures and we don't know the power of God. So again, so with that, I want us to move forward here, okay? The thing that we've been talking about, oh, I need a prop. Excuse me. Just in case I get to it. In Exodus, God calls Moses to himself Moses has been sitting in, on a mountain that's been burning for six days, six whole days. God told the children of Israel, a million plus, do not go near that mountain, do not touch that mountain, do not, don't even let your animals near that mountain. If they get near that mountain or if they touch that mountain, they're gonna die. So there was a fear factor there, a certain fear factor. And Moses is there sitting, I don't know if he's sitting in the fire, I, I have no idea, I just know he's sitting there for six days at the beckoning of God and God has not shown up for six days. On the seventh day, God steps in and says, okay, I wanna meet with you. And in Exodus 25, he, be, he starts out by telling Moses, hey, I want you to build me a tabernacle, a sanctuary. The reason is, is I wanna come and meet with you. And here's what it's supposed to look like. Now, me, in my Greek thinking, I'm like, what's the point to the, 
the height and the width and the depth and all the curtains and the curtain rods. And I'm like, get me through this. But there was something so specific that God wanted Moses to pay attention to. He thought it was important enough to leave him hanging for six days. And then on the seventh day, okay, now that I've got your attention, this is what I want to talk to you about. Oh, okay, well, you could have just said that. So, when, when he's describing the, 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 the dimensions of the sanctuary, he says this. He says, I will meet with you there and talk to you from above the atonement cover. From there, I will give you my commands for the people of Israel. Again, God, you're the one that created the universe. The earth is yours. And the fullness thereof. What? Why? What, what's so specific about this one little 45 by 27 inch piece of? It's where the atonement happens. It's where sin was paid for. I will meet with you there. Oh, there's something to this in the heart of God that he's wanting us to get. So, knowing that, turn to Psalms 103. Psalms 103, one of my favorite Psalms, says this, praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What benefit? Who forgives all your sins, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Those benefits. The question that I want to ask, some of you are saying, have I, have I heard this before? You have heard this before. The question that I ask is, on what basis does he heal all my diseases? On what basis does he forgive all of my sins? On what basis does he redeem my life from the pit? What, what basis? Because if we don't understand the basis, we're going to miss it. On what basis? Me having a good day? Him being in a good mood? It's the atonement. Everything centers around the atonement. In Job chapter 33, profound statement. This is a profound statement. Book of Job says, deliver him from going down into the pit of destruction. I have found a ransom. I have found an atonement. Pull that person out of the pit. I, God is saying, pull that person out of the pit. I have found a ransom. I have found a substitute. I have found someone to stand in that person's place. I have found a ransom. I have found an atonement. This is all about Jesus. The very thing, the very, this is the part, this is the part where we go, yeah, I've already heard this before. I mean this very nicely. If you would get it, I wouldn't have to keep repeating it. The 
this is so big, this is so big, that maybe we slow down. I have found an atonement. I, Jeff, I have found your substitute. Jeff, you need healing? Ah, if it was up to you, you wouldn't deserve healing, but I've found your substitute. I have found your substitute, Jeff. You don't deserve to come near me. I have found someone that's going to take your guilt. I found him. I found him. I've searched. I've found him. The sacrifice of the life of Jesus on the cross actually appeased the wrath of God towards you. He's not mad at you. He's not mad at me. Jesus took all of the wrath. Keep going. I, uh, I want us to look at something as a question we had read a couple of weeks ago in Scripture. This question right here. I'm going to probably keep circling back around to this. Where is your faith? Jesus asked this question to his disciples, and it was a minute, and after the, uh, his, his professional fishermen were in a boat, and they thought they were going to die, and Jesus was asleep, and the storm was so great that they woke him out of their sleep, woke him out of his sleep and said, hey, help us because we're, we we're going we're gonna to die. So Jesus calms the storm, and then he says, where is your faith? And so I feel like that that is a pointed question to us. Where is your faith? Where is my faith? Not that we don't have any faith. It's just that it's been misplaced. It's misdirected. Where is your faith? I have talked about this before. If, if I'm to be honest and, and answer that question, where is my faith? I would have to say my faith is in my faith. That's where my faith is. If I have enough, then, it's some, then things that I pray for are going to happen. If I don't have enough, then the things that, that I pray for are not going to happen. So my faith is actually in my faith. And the Lord said, oh, your faith is misdirected. Your faith is, is misfocused. We need to refocus your faith. We need, that, that's what I feel like the Holy Spirit's doing this morning. He's wanting to refocus our faith. Turn our attention back to the one, which is Jesus. Back to the one. Right now, the common denominator in our Christian walk is us. We are the common denominator. We are the reason for the season when there is a season, and we're the reason that we are out of season if there is an out of season. Does that make sense? And so I've had, you know, spoken with people it's like, ah, pray for someone to get healed and I just didn't have enough faith. They didn't get healed. It's like, oh, uh, I'm not sure that that's, because the flip side of that coin is, is if they do get healed, it's still because of you. Both of them are in error. Neither one of them. It's all about him. It's all about putting our faith in what he has done. First of all, we have to understand what he's done. We have to see what he's done. So, <clears throat> turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. Verse 1. I want to read something to you. Where is your faith? When Jesus had finished saying all of this to the people, he returned to Capernaum. 
At that time, the highly valued slave of a Roman officer was sick and near death. When the officer heard about Jesus, he sent some respected Jewish elders to ask him to come and heal his slave. So they earnestly begged Jesus to help the man. If anyone deserves your help, he does, for he loves the Jewish people and even built a synagogue for us. So Jesus went with them, but just before they arrived at the house, the officer sent some friends to say, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I am not worthy of such an honor. I am not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. And when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. I want us to pull this, 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 uh, this verse apart. Interesting statement that he would say, I have not seen faith like this in all Israel. Now, I know that God is everywhere and he knows everything, but I'm trying to understand how can you see faith on someone that's not even standing there? I understood, because we, we talked about it a few weeks before that, that when uh, the, the men brought the paralytic over to this, this guy's house and, five, and, the, the, and the men got up on, on the uh, roof and tore open the roof and laid, dropped this man down in front of Jesus, Jesus said he saw their faith. And he said, son, your sins are forgiven you. He saw their faith. What faith? He saw the faith that it took, that they had. If we can just get him in front of Jesus, he will be saved. He saw that faith. So so he said, seeing their faith, he said to 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 the man, your sins are forgiven. Now, this man is in a different region. And Jesus is saying the same thing. I haven't seen faith like this. What is he referring to? What faith? And where is it? And how did he see it? Where was his faith? Did you catch it? Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. That was the faith. His faith was actually in the word of Jesus, not the location of Jesus. Can you see a similarity of where I'm going? His faith was in the word of Jesus, not in the location of Jesus. Why is that an encouragement for us? Because we have the same access that he had to Jesus. Where is your faith? Our faith is in the word of Jesus. If you read the Bible like it's a history book, then that's in the past. But if you read it like it's alive and it's living, then every scripture is a now word. This is profound because up until this point in Luke, everyone that wanted to be healed by Jesus had to physically go and be touched. Remember the woman that had the issue of blood? She said, if I could just touch, I can't touch him because I'll make him unclean. If I could just touch the, the fringe of his robe, if I can just get there. And this guy's saying, wait a second. 
You don't have to come to my house. You just say the word from where you are. My servant will be healed. Jesus was amazed. Jesus was amazed twice. Once was at this guy's faith. Once the other one was at his hometown with the lack of faith in Nazareth. He was amazed. Just say the word and I'll be healed. My servant will be healed. This is good. This is all good news, except that something's got to be settled in our minds concerning the word of God. And that's where I think we are in a deficit. Here's what I'm talking about. In, in John chapter 18, I want to read this to you. There is an exchange between Jesus and Pilate. Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? In verse 33, Jesus said, are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? Pilate said, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore, Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate says, what is truth? That could be the question of all questions. What is truth? What is truth? What is truth to you? How do you determine truth? How do I determine truth? Uh, truth is what feels right. Hey, Jeff, you just kind of, you know, I just know. You just know that you know that you know. Just feels right. That's one, that's, that's how we, and, and, and as a result, truth becomes, that our truth meter becomes subjective. And the thing about it, the fault with that, the fault with that is if I do what feels good to me, woo, there has to be something higher than my subjectivity. Has to be something higher. There has to be something, there has to be a beacon. There has to be a North Star that directs my compass. Has to be. So what is that? Jesus says in the, the high priestly prayer, he says, Father, sanctify them in the truth or use your truth to make them holy. Your word is truth. That, what does that mean? That means that whatever I'm reading in here, regardless of what I feel, this has to supersede what I feel. Yes. Has to, this has to, has to supersede what I feel. We have to have this fact settled in our hearts. We have to have it settled. It talks about that the word of God is settled in heaven. It's a done deal. The word of God is settled in heaven. He doesn't do anything without his word. In Psalms 107, it says, Lord help, they cried in their trouble and he saved them from their distress and he sent out his word and healed them, snatching them from the door of death. That's what the centurion was saying. Just send your word. Send your word and I'll be healed. Send your word and I'll be healed or my servant will be healed. Just send your word. I don't need a touch from you. You don't need to come here. Just say it. In uh, Numbers 21, 
Can I just can I tell you something while we're looking at this? And I'm going to have to hurry. Scripture says that the Word of God is like seed. That means we have to water it. There's to be sunshine, but it's like seed. The good thing about that is that when the seed is planted, it takes root and it begins to grow. But it's like seed. So what I'm doing for these several weeks is I'm sowing seed. Because I feel like that where we are, where I am, with the discrepancy between the power and the, and the, and the scriptures, there, has, there needs to be a, a leveling out because the Lord's wanting to do something here. And there has to be a marriage between the power and the word coming together because if it's all power, it'll be a train wreck. If it's all scriptures, it won't, well, it won't even get through. But anyway, never mind. I'm sorry. It'll be a train wreck. It'll be another train wreck. Sorry. So Numbers, tw- in Numbers 21 says this, verse four, but the people grew impatient with a long journey and they began to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt here to, drink, to, to, to die in the wilderness? There's nothing to eat and nothing to drink and we hate this horrible manna. So the Lord sent poisonous snakes among them and many were bitten and died. Right? I love your food. Then the people came to Moses and cried out, we have sinned by speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord told him, make a replica of the snake and attach it to a pole. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. That's awesome. Look at this other verse in 2 Kings 18.4. Several hundred years later, King Hezekiah removed the high places. He smashed the sacred stones. He cut down the poles that were used to worship the goddess Asherah. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses has made, had made. Up to that time, the people of Israel had been burning incense to it, and they called it, however you want to pronounce that, Several hundred years later, King Hezekiah broke down and crushed the very thing that God told them to make. It's like, what, what? Are you mad at us? Where's our healing gonna come from? Good Lord, you just, you just smashed the very thing that we, that we were getting healed by. But I thought that's what God told them to do. But the healing wasn't in the bronze snake. The healing, the Lord said, all who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. The healing was in his word. It was in the word. We have the same access. Same God sends out the same word. Healing is still in the word. And these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Same God, same word. I believe that the enemy has stolen this truth from us. Lay hands on the sick, they will recover. 
He's stolen that from us. Partly because we think that, that when we lay hands on the recovery is a miracle. It happens just like that. That's part of it. And when we don't see something happen, we begin to formulate and go, oh, well, it must be because of me or the, me or the, him or God or I'm sorry, God, that I wasn't even. And what happens is that the enemy comes in and he steals whatever was going to happen. It says it's a recovery. So there's a miracle and then there's a recovery. A lot of people. I was just, here, I was just listening to, oh, David Hogan was talking about, uh, uh, I forget, this was a kid in India or somewhere that was so crippled that he was following him around, following David around on his hands, scooting like this. And David laid hands on him and then just kept on talking. Well, over the span of about two or three or four days, the kid stands up and he's walking just fine. But it was a progression, it was a recovery. So they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Here's where I feel like the, 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 uh, the, uh, the enemy has stolen. In Genesis, it says, Now that the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God said you should not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we can eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle, God said you shall not eat it or touch it or you will die. The serpent, uh-oh, yeah, was more crafty. And he said, indeed, has God said, you shall not, oh, what, I don't know what's going on here. The serpent said, you, sh- you will not surely die. And he deceived the couple. Basically, God was saying, if you do this, you're gonna die. And the serpent comes in and goes, no, you won't. You won't die. And the thing about it is, is they didn't die. When they took a bite, when they sinned, they didn't die. Something had to die, but they didn't die. So it's like, well, who's telling the truth here? The hiss of the serpent was louder in their ears than the voice of God was. That's what I'm getting at. Can I just tell you, the hiss of the serpent is still loud in our ears. Jeff, why do you say that? These signs will follow those who believe. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Jesus says, you will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. The serpent says, you surely will not recover. Why is the serpent's hiss louder than the voice of Jesus in our ears? We looked at this, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Our faith is being directed towards Jesus paid for both. Same price, he paid for both. Regardless, body or soul, soul or body, he paid for both. Say, ah, Jeff, your mistake is, is that you don't know the scriptures. And therefore, you don't know the power of God. It's here. Let's stand. So, Father, Lord, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, I would ask any place, Lord, where I have negated the word of God as the absolute truth, I I call that a sin. And I'm asking you, Lord, I'm asking you, out of your grace and mercy, would you recalibrate my compass? 
Would you forgive us, Lord, where we have allowed our feelings to become the true north that our compasses are actually navigated by? And I ask, Lord, for a replacement that the true north of your word would be the magnetic field that aligns our hearts. We ask, Lord, out of your great mercy, not anything that we've done, everything that Jesus purchased, we ask, Lord, I ask that it would be applied here in my life that would also be resident here in this house. Thank you, Lord. I speak a blessing on you. I speak a blessing on your heads. I speak a blessing on your hands. I speak a blessing on your feet. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine on you, his countenance to shine on you all the days of your life. And I pray that his goodness is so much that it's not enough for you to contain that it spills over onto your children and onto their children and onto their children until Jesus should return. In Jesus' name, amen.